Hey guys, it's Matt here, and I got a story for you. When I was a kid, I was playing hockey, and oh man, there was this one year, this one team, we could not beat these guys. They were all over us. There were competitive games, though. They were tight, but we just could not beat them. And I remember the last game of the year, it was up against this team, and we were gearing up. We were like, we have to get these guys. When we won that last game, it was so satisfying because we finally got the victory over the team that had dummied us, that had dominated us for so long. I think this is the same thing with sexual brokenness, with sexual sin, where there's been brokenness in our lives and the enemy has come and taken ground and he's dominated us for so long, but we get to make a difference. We get to be part of a message and a a mission of freedom. It is such a cool opportunity. So I want to invite you, men and women of any age, to be part of the Action Squad. The Action Squad is something that we're putting together right now. We're looking for 100 people to be on the Action Squad. There's going to be some competitive nature to it. There's prizes. And we're going to work together to help produce a documentary that is literally going to change the world. We're featuring stories of sexual brokenness, of people who have been restored and redeemed, reconciled to God and to people in their their lives. And we're going to feature these stories in this world-class documentary that will be a resource for churches to host movie nights, for small small groups to watch together, for families to watch and be inspired by. And it's going to highlight the problem in the church, but also show the, the power of God that is at work when we bring this stuff to light. And so if you want to be part of the Action Squad and help us put this documentary together, I would love for you to go to restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. You can watch a 10-minute video there that I put together on what it can look like for you to join us in this mission and be part of putting this documentary together. So restoredministries.ca slash Action Squad. Hope to see you there. Hey guys, it's Matt here. And before we get going, we just want to thank our episode sponsor, KB Crypto. Do you want to see your money work for you? Featured in Google Finance and Business Insider, KB Crypto is paying weekly profits of up to 15% monthly to those who invest even just one time. There are no hidden fees, an AI-based trading pool, and full access to the company's financials for investors. You can find KB Crypto on YouTube, Instagram, and at kbcrypto.ai. Welcome to the Pure Victory Podcast, full of hot tips to help you win at sex, conquer porn, and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Brad Hafner. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Pure Victory Podcast. And again, we are doing a part two of two-part podcast with Sheila Gregor. And if you haven't listened to the first one, please go back. She breaks down a little bit of her research in her book, The Great Sex Rescue. And we just talk about a little bit what that means, some of that research and the messaging that has been given to the church, through the church, to men and women alike that has been harmful. And we're She's trying to right the ship, so to speak, in regards to some of this messaging and give a better message of hope and truth in these areas. So, Sheila, thanks again for being on with us today. Thanks. It was great to be on last time, too. So this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's wonderful having you for two parts. I mean, we, we probably could have you on for a five-part miniseries. Hey, Matt? We just talk oh, about so many so. things. <laughs> I think so. There's tons there. So, um, Sheila, what's your podcast again that people can find you at? So we're the Bear Marriage Podcast, um, anywhere you listen to podcasts, or you can find me at my blog at tolovehonorandvacuum.com. I love it. That's great. So Sheila, we want to talk about just healthy sexuality and marriage and what that looks like, and in particular, when there's been harm, because as we talked about last time, there's been so much harm in Christian marriages and um, men feeling that they have the obligation to have sex whenever they want, and women feeling that they're obligated to give it whenever he wants, and uh, there's different pain that comes with that, but... Say there's been pain. 
what can a woman do and what can a husband do to start to move towards healthy sexual relations? I mean, first of all, you got to deconstruct all the negative messages. You, you, she, sex needs to be something which is freely entered into by both people. You know what I find so funny is whenever you ask people, what is the main problem with sex in your marriage? Do you know what they inevitably say? Like what, what's, what's the big problem that people fight about? What do you guys yeah, think? How often? Well, yes, exactly. Right. How often? Okay. It's the frequency issue, right? That, yeah. that's, the, that's the problem that people get into. And that's what I used to teach too. Like this is honestly what I used to believe that the big problem in sex is that um, we want it different amounts and we need yeah. to resolve that. Well, <laughs> we just finished this huge survey, 20,000 women, and we've done a subsequent follow-up survey of like 5,000 men. And we've looked at the frequency question and we've drilled down. And what we've realized is frequency is not the issue because if, if women feel like there's good marital satisfaction, if women are regularly reaching orgasm, if women do not have pain during sex, and if women feel emotionally connected during sex, it is very, very rare for sex to be less than once a week. Like, like it, it, it's multiple times a week. Usually like frequency is not the issue. And so when there's a problem, we need to start asking, why is it that they don't want sex? Because chances are there's a reason. And sometimes the reason may be like we've been talking about, like people have internalized really negative messages about sex. Yeah. But often what gets compounded by that is that we've got bad dynamics around sex. And, and we need to get, we need to deal with those dynamics. And when you deal with those dynamics, then the frequency will take care of itself. Let's unpack that a little bit. What are some of those dynamics? I mean, you've mentioned a few, but what would that look like? What are some things that we do need to deconstruct regarding sex so that we can have a better understanding? Okay. So let me tell you a story. Okay. We're going to take a couple. All right. And we'll call them Melissa and Doug. Because I have grandkids and they play with Melissa and Doug toys, so those are just the first two words, two names that came to my head. So Perfect. we got Melissa and Doug, and they're dating. And Melissa, her whole life has been told, "You need to be the brakes, okay? Doug is the accelerator. You need to be the brakes. Boys are going to push your sexual boundaries. You need to make sure that you don't go too far because he can't help himself." All right, Shanti Felden in her book for young women only to teenage girls said to teenage girls, 82% of boys feel little ability or little responsibility to stop in a makeout situation. Okay. So 82% of boys aren't going to stop. That's like date rape, yeah, rape culture. Right. That's very dangerous. But this is the kind of messaging that teenage girls have been given in the church. So here's Melissa and Doug and they're making out. Doug is thinking, this is awesome. And he's having a great time. Melissa is thinking, is he getting too excited? Do I need to stop yet? Let me listen to him breathe. And so Melissa is not concentrating on what she is feeling. She is concentrating on what Doug is doing. And her entire focus is on Doug. And so she's almost outside of herself, looking in on the situation and trying to figure out what to do. Melissa and Doug managed to make it to their wedding without having actual intercourse. They do a bunch of other things, you know, but they don't actually have intercourse. And then on their wedding night, they do have intercourse and Melissa feels nothing like this, like it was over with really quickly. She, it was awkward. She had no idea what was happening. And she dutifully has sex every three days. Like she's been told she's supposed to, by the way, do you know where that came from? That 72 hour rule? No. 
Okay, have you ever heard the 72-hour rule? Yeah, like I've, I've heard of it, but I didn't know where it came from. <laughs> the, okay. the first place that I ever read it, it was or read it in was in Every Man's Battle, and a man said to me after that that was harmful for him because he's hooked yeah. on porn, and then he was like, oh, my wife only has sex once a week, well, I have to watch porn. So that was the yeah. message that he got, so... Yeah, well, it's presented in like sheet music, Every Man's Battle, Power of a Praying Wife, um, a bunch of different best-selling Christian resources talk about the 72-hour rule. Um, and I finally traced the origin. We, we looked at all the medical literature to try to see if at hour 73, do men get more uncomfortable? Do they get grumpier? Like, is there a problem with hour 73? There's nothing in the medical literature. It started in 1977 because James Dobson wrote it in a book, but it was not based on anything. And then the evangelical world took it as gospel. So anyway, so the 72 hour rule, Melissa has been taught this her whole life. So she initiates every 72 hours and she feels nothing. And Doug is feeling like my wife doesn't want sex. And so that means my wife doesn't really want me. And so he's feeling increasingly desperate because he wants to feel like he's wanted and like he's loved. And so he starts initiating more, hoping that this time she'll want it more, but nothing like she'll have sex and she's obviously just going through the motions. And so he starts getting mad at her and she starts getting mad at him and it's all a big mess. And so the question is, what happened and how can we deconstruct this? Because that's pretty much the story of almost every um, <laughs> Christian marriage, at least in the first few years, okay? Yeah. And in, in The Great Sex Rescue, Chapter 4 is dedicated to unpacking this dynamic. But basically, what they've both missed out on is the whole concept of arousal. She has never, neither of them have ever learned how her body works. And she has no idea what arousal feels like because when they were making out, she was so concentrating on him that she never learned how to be in her body. Mm. And then they get married and she still has no idea about how to get, be in her body. And they've been taught their whole lives that sex equals intercourse. And so they're doing the intercourse <laughs> and nothing's happening. Okay, so everybody listening to this podcast, I want you to remember a number. I'm going to say a number, and I want you to remember this number. Ready? Okay, 47. All right, 47. That is the orgasm gap. 95% of men almost always or always reach orgasm in a sexual encounter. The equivalent number for women is only 48 for Christian women. So we have a 47-point orgasm gap. <laughs> and when you look at why, the, the biggest reasons, there's all kinds of different reasons, um, and we, we spell out a bunch of them in The Great Sex Rescue, but the biggest one is lack of foreplay. Mm. All right? <laughs> but here's what's kind of interesting. When we surveyed men and we asked them, do you make your wife's pleasure a priority? Over 90% of men say they do. And men, by the way, when we ask men, does your wife orgasm, they have a very realistic, like the number, like the women's orgasm rate is the same in both our men's survey and our women's survey. So, so it's not like women, men, women are faking it and men don't know it. Like men seem to have a pretty good idea of what is actually happening. But over 90% of men say that they make their, their wives pleasure of priority and, um, I think it's like over 80% of men say that they do enough foreplay, even if their wives don't orgasm. <laughs> so it's like, but over 60% of women say their husbands do enough foreplay, even if they don't orgasm too. So I think what's happening is both men and women consider her orgasm something that is extra 
it's a bonus. It's not something we can expect or aim mm. for. And we just have never learned how to prioritize what she needs. Um, the majority of women who do reach orgasm do not do it through intercourse. They do it through other means. And that's mm-hmm. normal. That's the way God created our bodies. He did not put the clitoris up the vagina. Right. Okay. Right. <laughs> he <Yeah>. didn't. <laughs> he put it outside so that, she, you know, he would need to serve her if she's going to feel good. And a lot of women are feel really awkward being the center of attention. They feel like that's selfish because we've been taught so much that men need sex and that women need to give it and we don't know how to receive. And then men think that, well, she must be broken because she doesn't really like intercourse and they don't realize that's not how she was made. Right, right. So a lot of this, the, the problem that we face here is between the ears, right? <laughs> it's, it sounds mm-hmm. like is what you're saying. So if these are what the thoughts that we're having, I mean, sp- speaking even for women it will end for men, but if that's the, the voice that's been in our mind whilst we're having sex or, you know, during foreplay, how do we start to change those thinking patterns? Because that, those are, these are deep ruts, right? If that's what happens mm-hmm. when, when sex is occurring, when you're thinking, oh, okay, um, this is this is the particular thought pattern I usually go to, and you know, I feel I feel maybe really stressed because I'm not having an orgasm as a woman, right? And and, and some, mm-hmm. or I'm so focused on the other person, like, oh, are they comfortable? You know, whatever else. How do we start changing some of our our, our patterns of thinking so that maybe we can start to see some traction? I would answer this question differently depending on how long people have been married. Right. (laughs) I I do have different. If you are just getting married, what I would tell you is prioritize your orgasm. Like right out the gate, okay, before you even try to have intercourse, let's see, like bring her to orgasm first. Let's figure out how her body works. Let's work on arousal. Like, um, because what we do is on the wedding night, we aim for intercourse Mm -hmm. and that's the wrong aim. Like let's, there's, there's three things that you need. Okay. First of the very first thing is you need to feel comfortable with each other. And that for some couples, that's going to take a while. Like you take baths together, you touch each other, like you just get comfortable. Okay. And then once you're comfortable, you work on arousal so that you understand how her body works and you just take your, take your time, like explore, figure this out, you know, and then once you've got that figured out, then you figure out the orgasm and the intercourse piece. <laughs> okay. But it needs to go at that pace and we need to stop seeing it as like intercourse is what you do on the wedding night. And if you've only been married for a little bit of time and you haven't got a lot of patterns ingrained, I would just say, okay, back the truck up a little bit. And let's, and let's really start aiming for arousal again, um, figure out her arousal. We've got a ton of stuff in um, the great sex rescue on that. But if that's honestly what you're looking for, 31, my book, 31 days to great sex has all kinds of great exercises on how to figure out her arousal. Okay. So get either great sex rescue or 31 days to great sex. Now, if you've been married for like 15, 20 years and her orgasm is really rare or almost non-existent, then you have a lot more repair work to do (laughs) because chances are she really resents sex. And I think, you know, guys, here's another illustration that I think um, a lot of couples need to hear. We'll take a different couple or no, let's stick with Melissa and Doug. Okay, Melissa and Doug, we we picked on them. So so we're still going to pick on Melissa and Doug. So uh, imagine that Melissa and Doug are told that what Doug really needs in order to feel close is to go out for dinner once a week. Okay. And so every week, Melissa and Doug head to a restaurant 
this is after COVID and you can go indoors again. <laughs> and they're at this restaurant and they order an appetizer and a main course and a dessert. And they're sitting there and the waitress brings Melissa's French onion soup and Melissa loves it. She downs it. She declares it amazing. And they start talking. They're having a wonderful conversation. The waitress brings Melissa's steak and potato and she's slathering the sour cream on and she's just declaring this delicious and nothing's come for Doug yet. And then the waitress brings her molten lava cake for dessert and she's scooping it up and she's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And just as she's almost done, the waitress brings Doug's chicken wing appetizer and he eats one and then he eats another. And just as he's grabbing his third, Melissa stands up and says, that was an amazing dinner. Thank you so much. You know, I just love doing this with you. And they leave the restaurant and Doug's looking and going, oh, okay, well, there goes my chicken wings. And now they imagine they do this every week for 10 years. How do you think Doug is going to feel about going to restaurants? And the same thing has happened with so many women is that we have been told that what he really needs is sex, you know, and every 72 hours, not just once a week. And quite often it's done nothing for women. They haven't felt any pleasure. And often they don't feel emotionally connected either because it feels like he's using her. And so she, it does, it's not just that it does nothing for her. It actually can be a negative, you know, because it's like saying you don't matter. And so we need to reverse that and we need to spend some time making her the focus of attention and showing her this is important. You do matter. This is about both of us. Just to be clear, are you saying that God values orgasms for both men and women the same? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) In fact, he even made women so that we could have multiple ones and women have no refractory period. Men have a refractory period. Men do not. So God made women to actually be more sexual than men. And at different times in history, it's been assumed that women are the more sexual. Like in the middle ages, you know, it was assumed that, that she was more sexual. In fact, it was assumed that she could not get pregnant unless she had an orgasm. And so, you know, this is really, it's really changed throughout history. And the way that we have approached sexuality, I think, has really put a damper on women's libidos and women's sexual response. So I just want to ask you about this in 1 Corinthians 7, where it talks about husbands and wives give each other your conjugal rights. Don't come apart except for, you know, a time of prayer and fasting, but not for too long so that you don't Mm -hmm. give into temptation. How do you interpret that? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's look at it a little bit more. So the first thing it says is husbands should fulfill their marital duties to their wife. Yeah. So the first thing is that the wife's needs are mentioned. Okay, so, so it's not like I've heard this passage, Every Heart Restored, which is part of the Every Man's Battle series, says that 1 Corinthians 7 promises men regular sex, just as 1 Peter 3 promises women that men will honor them. And I'm reading this and I'm going, what are you talking about? Like 1 Corinthians 7 promises both of them. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but that's the way it's often looked at is that 1 Corinthians 7 is the second most weaponized verse against women in the Bible. You know, the first is the submit verse, but the, the second most weaponized verse is, is these do not deprive verses. Okay, so wives' needs are mentioned first and everything that the husband gets, the wife gets too. So it's completely mutual. Now, at the time that this was written, husbands had complete authority over their wives' bodies um, to the extent that they could murder them and not be prosecuted. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you know, the wife's body belongs to the husband, but the husband's body also belongs to the wife. 
that was a revolutionary statement that I don't think we recognize. And so, you know, when we're talking about the do not deprive, what is it that we're not supposed to deprive each other of? And you can't deprive a woman of one-sided intercourse. That's like telling Doug that he's being deprived of dinner by not going out to a restaurant where he gets two chicken wings. Like he's already being deprived, <laughs> right? And so if you're having intercourse several times a week, which is does nothing for her, she is already being deprived. So that's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is this mutual, intimate, pleasurable experience for both. That is what is supposed to be central in a marriage. I think the other thing, there's two other things that's important to mention about that passage. The very next verse, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 6, is I say this as a concession, not a command. So people who say that we are commanded not to deprive each other, Paul actually addressed that in the very next verse where he says it's not a command. But the other thing is that the, the context of this passage is a Christian community in Corinth that had elevated celibacy above all else. And so you were getting married people vowing celibacy. Mm. And so Paul was saying, hey, <laughs> you know, you, do, you don't have to do that. You're married. It's okay to have sex. So he wasn't saying you're, su you're supposed to have sex as often as you. He was saying, don't take sex off the table. Like it, it had a very different emphasis than what we often read. And so the way that I see First Corinthians 7 is it's just telling us, look, sex is an integral part of marriage. You know, intimate, pleasurable, mutual sex should be part of what you experience together. And if it's not, let's figure out how to make it that way. I, I love the mutual aspect of what you're saying. And that's, that's often lost, right? It's like, we always look at the individual kind of needs, especially as men, like that's what kind of what we're the messaging that we're got. It's about my orgasm as well. Me, whether we want to or not, like you talked about in the last podcast, right? There's messaging that was given to us in our sex saturated world. Mm -hmm. It's about me. It's about my selfish needs. So mutuality in marriage, how do we unpack this in the conversations as a couple? Cause often these conversations, sometimes we don't know the words to use. We don't know how to talk to each other mm -hmm. about this break it down because maybe we were taught growing up with sex sex is dirty don't talk about it you know you just you just do yeah. it and you don't you don't really discuss that so how do we as a husband and wife talk about these things how do we create a place to really chat about these things in a way that's constructive <laughs> mm -hmm. that's a hard one to answer i mean in the in the great sex rescue we have a lot of check-ins to help um, start those conversations because i know they're super awkward and again, in 31 Days to Great Sex, it, it helps you walk through those, those conversations. But I would say, as a couple, a lot of us have never talked about our first messaging about sex. You know, what was the first time you had a sexual feeling? What did your parents tell you about sex? How did you feel about puberty? Like, these are important things to know about each other. <laughs> and, and, you know, let, let's just go back to the beginning. If this has been rough for you in your marriage, go back to the beginning. Start unpacking it together. Ask each other, like, do you feel like our sex life is intimate? How could we make it more intimate? How, how could we feel like we're in this together emotionally and it's not just physical? You know, certainly how can we make it more pleasurable? But that's a, that's, a, that's a tougher thing, I think, and it does take some time. But how can we make it more intimate? How can we make it mutual? You know, how can we feel? How can you make it feel like it's for you and not just not just for me? Like, what does that look like? And, and really talk about those things and be open to your spouse 
being not happy, <laughs> like, you know, making room for that. Um, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about marriage. You've got decades to get this right. We don't need to get it right, right off the bat. Yeah. Like the best years for sex and marriage. I tell this to couples all the time. It's not the honeymoon years. It's years 16 to 24. Okay. <laughs> like the best for a lot of people, the best is yet to come. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so don't like, don't give up and just see it as something where we can constantly be growing. Um, and that this can constantly be a source of, of joy for us as we grow more and more together in it. This is so hope giving, I think, because there's a lot of young couples that come across our ministry that they have so many struggles, people that have sex three times in their first year. Um, or not at all for a few years because of, you know, pain and different things or emotional turmoil. So I think that this is so hope giving to just say, Hey, let's talk, like, let's get it out. And there's hope and the best is yet to come. But what do you say to those couples who are older, where Mm -hmm. they have a sexless marriage and they're just going, yeah, it's been this way. This is just how it is. Should they kind of start to reignite that? Yeah, I think the key thing, um, and maybe this is going full circle because this is how we open the podcast too, is that when there are sexless marriages, there's something else going on. Like what we found is in 78% of sexless marriages, at least two of the following five things are present. Okay, so I'm going to give you a list of five things. They're going to have at least two of them. Um, His sexual dysfunction, her sexual pain, not feeling emotionally connected during sex, uh, her not reaching orgasm and his porn use. So at least two of those things are present. And whereas in marriages where you're having sex, like quite frequently, very rarely is even one of those things present. Okay. So, <laughs> so it's like, there's something else going on. And even if you could live with a sexless marriage, you shouldn't live with any of those five things. Like those, those five things are bad and we don't want them. And there's no reason to keep putting up with them. And so let's address the root cause because, you know, God wanted us, God creates something amazing for us. Why would you want to miss out on it? And yes, it's messy. And yes, it requires vulnerability. And yes, it's going to be a rough road, um, but it's a road worth taking because if God made something this amazing for you, you do not want to go through your marriage without ever experiencing it. Right. And to build on that, maybe touch on why is mutually satisfying um, sex important in marriage? And what does great sex for us as a married couple do for us in our marriage? I mean, those are kind of big questions, but what are yeah. your thoughts about those? Well, the thing about sex is that for it to really work well, especially for women, you need a high amount of vulnerability. Okay. She needs to, she needs to be able to let go, you know, and not be in control. Like she needs to, she needs to be able to ride the wave of pleasure to orgasm. All right. And that means that she can't be in control. She needs to be able to tell him what she wants. All of that requires such a lot of vulnerability and it requires a lot of vulnerability on his part too, to say what he needs, but also to be open to hearing what she needs, like to be open to the idea that I don't automatically know this stuff and I need to learn it. Like that requires a lot of vulnerability as well. So you have two people that are really being vulnerable with each other. That's going to grow intimacy. 
that's why sex is not just physical. If sex were just physical, there would be no need to work on the relationship. But, you know, sex requires, good sex requires a lot of vulnerability. And then you get this amazing pleasure and rush of all kinds of hormones. It's going to make you feel bonded. It's going to make you feel relaxed. It's going to help you sleep better. It's going to help you be more affectionate for the next few days. Like, this is a wonderful um, mix of things. And it is what God intended for us. Now, I, I do want to say, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that she has to orgasm 100% of the time. There's always going to be times where she can't. I mean, women are just more in our heads than men are. We have a lot more hormonal fluctuations during the month and stuff. And so I, I don't want to make sex into a pass-fail thing because that can be damaging in and mm-hmm. of itself. But this idea that it's not important is dangerous. And that has been what's happened in a lot in a lot of marriages. And so just finding a way to to value her orgasm without turning it into a pass-fail, it's a tough dynamic. Um, And again, you're only going to get there if you can really talk, which is what's going to grow intimacy too. Which is so important in marriage. And marriage, I mean, families are foundational in society. Marriage is central in the Bible. And so to talk about this, not just sex, but talking about the different things that factor into sex is so, so important. And so I'm so thankful for what you're doing Sheila are there any last thoughts anything on your mind that could be related to what we're talking about or just kind of anything I keep coming back to one thing I haven't said which is about libido so you know we always hear that he wants sex and she doesn't actually that's only 58% of marriages in 19% of marriages she has the higher sex drive and in 23% it's shared you know so it's not always a gendered thing but I think the other thing that I want everyone to understand is that there's two different kinds of libido there's spontaneous libido where you really want sex and you're ready to go before you really start. But there's also responsive libido where you don't actually get into the wanting sex until you've been kissing for a while. And what we found is that if women start kissing and go into a sexual encounter, assuming they're going to get aroused and they're going to want sex, even if they don't at the start, they end up just as happy and fulfilled as if they started sex already aroused. Hmm. So it's not about having to be aroused first. As long as she's confident that she's going to get there, it's it's fine. You know, and I think a lot of women assume that they're broken if they don't want sex the way their husbands do. And a lot of men assume their wives are broken or their wives don't really want me because they're not aroused first. And it's just, we've got different libidos. If you have a responsive libido, it doesn't mean you don't have a libido. It just means that it is responsive and that's totally okay. And a lot of men, if they have the lower libido, they think they're broken too, that there's something yes. wrong with them, right? And it might simply be that they have a more responsive libido and that's okay as well. <laughs> No, thanks for adding that point on because I know we've, we've, I've, I mean, for family life, we've, I've talked to a lot of people that that's a big, the libido difference, right? Is just mm-hmm. something that they're really trying to navigate. And the way you put it is just excellent. You know, I think it's, we don't understand it that way often. We think it's just, I have to be aroused all the time. And I, if I'm not aroused, mm-hmm. then I'm broken or something wrong with me. Then that's when we withdraw from sex completely, right? So, you know, such a true point that you made there. And I just wanted to add to, if you want to know more about Sheila, again, check out her book, The Great Sex Rescue. Go again to her website to love, honor, and vacuum. 
Bear Marriage Podcast. These are all great resources for you. And she's so much more than that. We're just giving you some highlights here. <laughs> and um, there's some I want to actually check out with me, me and my wife as well. And uh, thank you so much, Sheila. We really appreciate you coming on with us today and, and the message that you're bringing. It's so important, so vital, especially in the days that we're in right now. Really appreciate you and the work that you're doing. So thanks for being on with us. Well, thanks. It's great to be here. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, guys. And um, if you want to know more again, check her, check out her website. Check out our website. And we will check in with you guys next week for another great episode. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, please visit purevictorypodcast.com to subscribe. This podcast was made possible by the generous donations of our subscribers. If you would like to help support the cause financially, once again, please visit purevictorypodcast.com.